1: Purple daily on Score North and ScoreNorth.com.
2: Purple daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Where we just want to see the Vikings maybe draft a quarterback before we die. That might be the new tagline of this show. Uh, obviously, the Vikings pull off one of the ugliest wins I have seen. Some uh, brutal high school football games. I've called some high school football games. Uh, Miles, you obviously played football. You have probably experienced some equally as painful football games. That, if I was not paid to watch this, just like you guys are to, to analyze this as well, man, that would have been tough to get through. But the Vikings win three to nothing. They win ugly. The Josh Dobbs experience appears uh, probably to be over with. Uh, Nick Mullins had to come in. So we're going to have a healthy quarterback conversation. So if you were wondering, is Purple on draft going to decide if the Vikings should draft a quarterback? Yes, we are going to go down that path. And we're going to stick with just one guy to start here, because Forno... In his sicko-mode style, watched a ton of Bo Nix film. And boy, oh boy, does he have takes. So I'm excited to hear those takes. Miles and I will react to those takes. We're going to do that today on Purple Daily on Draft. We'll also get in uh, some takeaways from the win over the Raiders yesterday. We'll talk some Ivan Pace. We'll talk some Makai Blackman, uh, too. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Hit that subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment right here on Purple Daily on Draft. All right, Forno. Uh, the floor is yours. I guess you you sat down, you watched a lot of Bo Nix film. Uh, I, I take it you watched you watched a lot of the Oregon film. I don't know if you went back to his Auburn days. The guy was like a true freshman starter even like before the pandemic ever happened. It feels like he's been in college football forever. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor here. Where, where do you want to start with the Bo Nix conversation and where it relates to the Vikings? Do you want to start with the bad? Do you want to start with the good? Do you want to start with why this could be a possibility or why they shouldn't even consider this. I'm going to hand the baton to you, my friend. Where do you want to go with this Bo Nix conversation in the Vikings?
1: I think we need to start with this context and the context of why he was so successful statistically and why some of that can be really talked about as a mirage. And you stats can be a mirage going from college to pro because there's so many different variables that are one, different about the college game, and two, the parity within college football is so much wider than it is in the NFL. And it, like Bo Nix, on average, when he's playing against the defense, he's playing against two guys who will play in the NFL. And that's not even saying if they're like good, bad, or somewhere in between, or just like an average player, like two NFL level defenders on average, maybe three. And some of the games you could talk about four or five, like the Washington defense overall wasn't a very good unit. They're going to send a bunch of guys to the league and they're going to end up playing like ZTF uh, and Braylon Trice. Those guys are going to play in the NFL probably for five to 10 years. But the context of why some of these things matter is what we really need to discuss. And this year he completed 77.2% of his passes. That's really good. But why did he complete 77.2% of his passes? more than half of them were within like five yards of the line of scrimmage or behind. That's really bad. You can't look at these high statistical numbers and say, oh, he's driving the ball down the field. Oh, he's doing this. He's doing that. He's throwing a lot of screens. Uh, I I have the, uh, spe- I can pull up the specific numbers here according to pro football focus because they will actually um, track like passing depth. So, This past season, 27.3% of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage. Completed 113 of 118. From zero to nine yards, 40% of his passes. 140 of 173, good for 80.9%. Deep, 20 plus yards, 51% completions. And the problem with talking about some of this just outside of a vacuum, when you look at the Oregon offense, it's very similar to the Brock Purdy conversation we're having right now. Trying to determine how good Brock Purdy actually is. Because Kyle Shanahan is such a genius at scheming things up. So Brock Purdy just stands back and he waits for a guy like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle to get open on a specific route concept. And it's not to take anything away from Brock Purdy, but it's hard to quantify how good a guy is because everything's set up for him to basically just be a point guard. And he's not really doing a lot to elevate the offense. The offense is actually elevating him. And that's where, where we're at with Bo He is Got a great offensive line in front of him. He's got a top three group of weapons in all of college football. Bucky Irving could be the top running back drafted if he chooses to come out. And with NIL, who knows? Tez Johnson, Troy Franklin, and the outside are great. Uh, Justin Herbert's brother, it plays pretty well at tight end, which is why Herbert stayed his senior year. And when you look at all those encompassing factors, it makes things easy for him. And he doesn't do well progressing. Almost everything's a half field or one read and then just run. And then sometimes when he scrambles, he does that thing he did at Auburn where he just runs around aimlessly like a five-year-old running away from 10-year-old bullies on the playground. He doesn't really elevate anything. And I gave him a fourth-round grade. I think if you put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense, and I'm talking not the system. I'm talking Kyle Shanahan's offense. He could be a capable NFL quarterback. You ask him to run full field reads. You ask him to stand in the pocket without panicking. He is going to crumble, and he is going to crumble fast and hard because it isn't just a one-season sample size. You're not talking about a guy who, like, let's look at Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky was a wild card because he had started one season at North Carolina, just one, but he played really, really well. So you had to quantify, okay, he played well in his only season where he got to start. So then you can try and extrapolate and project forward. Okay, there's a lot that he can still grow with, and we can work with that. So it's almost like a blank canvas. Bo Nix, after the bowl game, is going to have started 61 games in college football, the most of any quarterback in NCAA history. How am I supposed to project him forward when he's already shown that some of these issues, especially with progressions and reading the field, they're, they've been a constant throughout the entire course of his five-year college career, and they have not shown much progression. How are we going to expect that to get better? And to me, I, I want nothing to do with him because the issues have been longstanding. They continue to be problems, and he had to go from the best conference with the best competition, and I'll be at the Pac-12 was great this year, but then you go out to the Pac-12 where the defenses aren't nearly as talented or schemed up, and it it 's basically going from playing on like all Madden to playing on normal <laughs> difficulty, and it made things so much easier for him, and you know what? He capitalized, and good for him he 's a very good Saturday player. Bonex next to me is not a starting quarterback in the National Football League because those issues i don 't see as fixable based on the context. Context will always be king because it is not the same for each individual NFL player. Some guys, Josh Allen's the anomaly. Josh Allen figured it out and he still has issues, but his positives are so good. You live with the bad because he elevates you and he can make plays nobody else can make. And that is what makes him so special. And then you have a guy like Jalen Hurts. Hurts runs that offense so efficiently. I struggle with how, how to view Hurts as a quarterback. Because I don't know how good he actually is compared to the offense and trying to parse out how he elevates it and makes it. There's a lot of factors, but Hertz doesn't have that elite arm, but he does so many things well. And with Knicks, he doesn't do enough things really well, and everything around him elevates him. I don't want that guy as my quarterback. Now, the Vikings have a great system in place to be able to help a young quarterback, to be able to help a rookie and develop. But I want that guy to eventually be able to elevate the guys around him and not just have this floor and ceiling where he's never going to be able to do that. And that's just how I view Bo Nix. I don't see him as a franchise quarterback. I don't see him as a player who can really take you to another level. He is a placeholder. He is, in my opinion, the next chase Daniel. He's going to be a 12-year career backup quarterback that starts about 15 games in the league and looks okay-ish doing so. I, I, I don't see it. I've, n- I've never seen it with Bonex, and I, I genuinely don't understand why some in draft media are so high on him because when you take the context into effect, it really cancels out a lot of the positives that he does. It's because of his situation more than anything.
2: And Bonix had a huge year last year uh, at Oregon. Just three interceptions, 40 touchdowns, uh, rushed for six. I mean, yeah, five-year player between Auburn and Oregon. Threw up uh, a ton of touchdowns. He started his first-ever
1: college game. He beat Justin Herbert in Oregon at Jerry World with
2: a like a touchdown pass with 13 seconds left. He's played a lot
1: of college football.
2: A ton of college football, too, yeah. So, yeah, 38 rushing touchdowns, 108 passing touchdowns. Yeah, statistically a humongous year last year. Uh, was obviously in the Heisman conversation to a degree too. Uh, Miles, do you like Bo Nix? Is there anything that uh, Forno said that maybe you disagree with or maybe even you want to add on about Bo Nix's game? Obviously, he's yeah, been in college football for a long time. There's been a lot of mocks that have the Vikings drafting Bo Nix around like that 18th to 22 spot where the Vikings are probably most likely going to be in the draft for the first round next year. Uh, what are your kind of overall takeaways on Bo Nix with the Vikings?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say I, I agree in the fact that I don't see him as a first-round pick. I, I, he probably just, with the amount of work that we've seen under Bo Nix, he just hasn't played up to that level of a first-round pick, at least consistently. But I think the last couple of years, what you've been able to do is see that there there is room for growth, and that growth has hit. It may have hit later than you'd like it to in a lot of prospects, but sometimes not every guy's going hit, to hit their ceiling or, uh, in college that quickly. And I think sometimes we punish those guys for it. Uh, with, with Bo Nix, Going from the, the SEC and, and Ole Miss to, to going to uh, to Oregon, I thought it was a good move for him because I think it allowed him to kind of play more to his strengths. I think to Forno's point, he isn't really like a, a full field type guy, type quarterback. He's a grip and rip it type guy. I think he fits a little bit more of a quick game, maybe some of the like West Coast system offense than he does some of the, uh, and like the half field reads, than he does some of the full field progressions, which is okay. I don't think it has to be a uh, always a negative about these guys. like. These guys coming in the NFL, most of the time you don't always know how they'll handle full field progressions. That's why a lot of times you see rookies or young quarterbacks get asked to kind of focus on half field concepts as they progress through their careers. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about Bo Nix as like a long term viable starter. But I think as a guy like a day two pick in this, like, I think, you know, with the intangibles and I think with some of the like um, abilities, I think they're there. Um, but I wouldn't draft him as like, oh, this guy's going to save my franchise. He's, he's going to be the guy that that I take because we have no other choice. It's going to be more of like a, I have a veteran in place, um, but we need a guy that can be a backup, and maybe we develop him into a long-term starter if he can get sit behind the scenes and kind of learn um, and not be rushed into anything. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, yeah, that that's where I say like day two. I think he's a good day two fit for me. Um, but I do think there's opportunity for him to become a starter. That, that doesn't have to be, like, a franchise-level quarterback, but I think we've seen enough guys become, like, starter starting-level caliber quarterbacks in the league. And I think uh, Kenny Pickett's probably a decent comp. Now, I think Pickett does a better job overall with the full-field concepts, but I think Bo Nix has a little bit more of the physical tools that Kenny Pickett kind of wish he had. So there's a little bit of that to me that, like, I like Bo Nix's, like, makeup. I like the things that he can do, but it, it's, like, what are my expectations for him? And if I'm taking a guy on day two, I'm not going to be sitting there treating that guy like he's the the heir apparent, the future anything. I'm treating him as if we hit on this guy, that's obviously a plus. But if we don't, maybe he's a long-term backup for us that we can develop into a spot starter, which I think is way more valuable as we've seen across the league with all of the awful quarterback players behind starters this year. Like, that's a valuable spot to be in. And I think teams, maybe this offseason specifically, we'll see a lot more investment in that. Than what we've seen though, over the last like decade or so.
2: Yeah, the Kenny Pickett comparison. I know you kind of threw that uh, a little bit randomly there, but that actually is a pretty good one. Like he played five years at Pitt, um, put up big numbers. His senior year was also insane: forty-two touchdowns, seven picks. I mean, kind of very similar to Bo Nix. Probably and, shouldn't
0: have been a first-round pick.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, drafted twentieth overall, like late first-round pick. Like there, there is definitely some Kenny Pickett there, and I think a lot of Steelers fans are. I don't mean to speak for him, but are probably more out on Kenny Pickett than are bullish uh, and thinking Kenny Pickett really is the guy there. So yeah, that one's that one's interesting for me too. So I, I think the Vikings are obviously going to take a QB. Where they take is obviously a little bit still up to the board. It's up to the situation. Like, do you see any scenario for no where the Vikings would trade up significantly to get up? Like, it's one thing to go from like maybe nineteen to let's say thirteen but like, do you see any scenario where they go up to the top 10 and they're they're mortgaging future first-round assets or any type of, I don't know if they really have the in roster assets to get up there. That's not Justin Jefferson. So do you see a situation where they could even trade up to get their guy, or is that probably unlikely given the fact that they just probably don't want to mortgage future picks?
1: So I, I want to start here, and Miles mentioned something like, you know, once he got to Oregon, then he started to really develop, and I think, uh, that just in, in general, and I want the audience to kind of be able to think about this. Why did he get better? What's the context of the why? And I think that's why I'm so out on Bo because of, of what that Oregon offense was and why he had to go out there to have success. And I, I, I think that's a really important question that everybody needs to be able to answer for themselves in order to understand, do I think this guy is good enough? And I, I will say about being able to move up for a quarterback. Vikings tried last year. They they had an offer on the table to go up to number three and get Anthony Richardson. They, they weren't able to get it done, but it wasn't the fault of their own. And they have already shown that they want to go up, but it all depends on who do they love. If they love Drake May, who is going to be the likely guy, because I think you're going to have to move up to one to get Caleb Williams. And I believe May is the better quarterback. I think he's a better prospect because he just is so much better in the pocket. And I have questions that uh, with Williams and he's ever going to improve within structure because he's so erratic and it's so uh, he just wants to make SportsCenter's centers top 10 every time, which is kind of how I describe his play style. And that stuff is great. I love to be able to see that because if you can create like that, you can elevate to the next level, but you still have to be great within the pocket. And I, I have concerns, especially after watching him for three years in college, that he won't be able to do that with any form of consistency. But if the Vikings love one of those guys and they, they're like, this is the guy we need this guy on our team. This is going to be the future of the Minnesota Vikings and take us to a Super Bowl," Then I believe they absolutely will try to go get him, but it takes two to tango. A team is going to have to be willing to move down. However far to be, allow you to go up and then you're going to have to give up the farm. And then also the homestead. It's not just going to be as simple as, Hey, I'll give you a first and a second round pick to move up 20 spots. No, you're going to have to give up a lot more the like what the uh the Falcons in 2011 moved up from 27 to 6. The only team that's ever moved up from the 20s to get up that high. They gave up two ones, two twos and a four, I believe is the the full cost. That's a fortune right. to be uh, go up there. And Julio Jones was a franchise changer for them, so it ended up working out. But there is very little precedent here, Mm -hmm. and especially when you have the commanders in 2012 paying three firsts and a second to go up four spots to get RG3. It's going to take a lot to make that happen, and I just, with both sides, I don't know if they're going to be able to make it work, even if they wanted to, and that's the difficult thing.
2: feels like if they were going to move up, maybe, Miles, it's like going from, yeah, that 19 spot to, like, 14, right? Like, maybe that's a little bit of an easier jump. I mean, you're still going to – I'm not saying you can't just, like, snap your fingers and make it happen. But, yeah. you know, the, the Chiefs obviously took Patrick Mahomes in, in the teens, and they did, had, had a similar plan where there was a succession plan in place. They started Alex Smith. Pat Mahomes was behind them. Um, is that more of a probably realistic route to you if they were going to jump up? Like, it's probably only jumping up a few spots. It's not all going up to the top 10 where you have to play the Julio tax or the RG three sacks. It's more of a jump up like three or four spots because we're worried that one of these teams ahead of us is probably going to snag the quarterback that we want.
0: Yeah. I also liken it to like the, the, um, the bills, they got creative with moving up to get Josh Allen. They went from, I think it was 22 to 16 or somewhere in that range. And then they moved from that spot up to seven to get Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. Um, they used, uh, the, the first trade up. I think they used their left tackle. Who was the left tackle? Um, uh, if anybody remembers off top, um, I can't remember the left tackle. Cordy Glenn. Time. Thank you. Cordy Glenn. They used Tor- Cordy Glenn to move up, um, basically like eight spots or six spots or whatever it was. And then they use their first round capital to move up to go get Josh Allen. And I think I can see Quazi getting creative like that. Um, I think he would probably love to do something like that because he's just the type of guy that, you know, he likes to move, how he's going to move the move the board and those things. But, um, yeah, I think it makes sense though. I like, I think the one thing I expect them to do is if they have, if they have a definitive guy that they want to go get, I think they're not going to be afraid to go get him. They're not, they're not going to be afraid to give up, you know, multiple firsts, you know, all this draft capital to go get somebody because they know how important that position is to the rest of the franchise and and moving the franchise forward. And so like that, like with it, with the Anthony Richardson rumors and things, that's why to me it wasn't a surprise because I think it, it also just should just show us that those guys really do want to go get a franchise quarterback on a rookie-scale contract that, that they know that they can develop with high upside. Now, I don't think they'd just go trade up for anybody. I think as we saw the last couple of years, Will Levis, Kenny Pickett, like there's been other guys where they're just kind of like have sat back and said, ah, uh, I think we're kind of okay. Maybe not Kenny Pickett because I know that was Rick Spielman, but like uh, Malik Willis and, and and some of those – that was the same draft. Jesus. Um, but like, you know, some of those guys where uh, they had a chance to go to move up if they wanted to, but they they kind of held back or like taking those guys with their current spots. But um I think it's okay if they decide to go be aggressive. I think fans want to see that at this stage. I think we've seen kind of the last few weeks where the the Vikings offense just is not performing up to what it should be. Um there's too many weapons, there's too many good things in structure to like to not um be be performing better. And I think going to get that young quarterback could really solidify that for them long term. And and so yeah, I'm with you, Declan. I think maybe you move from nineteen to to 10 and you, like you use a first round pick, a future first to go do that, but are they willing to then move from let's say 19 to to seven, and maybe that's two first round picks like I do think they would be. it would just depend on who's there. like if Jane Daniels slips past five or six, like do they go get him? Obviously Drake Mankale Williams, but after that, the crap shoot at quarterback kind of feels so up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like those three are like kind of like the solidified guys. Um, they're the ones that you know I expect to come out jane daniels you know uh drake may are are seniors obviously and then caleb williams we all fully expect him to declare which i don't know why he wouldn't at this point after that though we just don't know what quarterbacks are going to come out is jj mccarthy going to make the move quinn ewers um he kind of seems like a guy that might come back but there's a there's a few guys bonics we obviously know is coming back we just talked about him but i don't view his him as somebody you go trade up for he's someone that like if he falls to you great um and you want to take him at like late first early second you know Midday two, fine. Um, Michael Penix is kind of in that same realm for me with uh, Bo Nix, maybe with a little higher ceiling because of the accuracy and his ability to to just sling it. But obviously there's question marks around him. Um, but overall, I just it's just about, like, who's the guy? And if they can go get, obviously, Drake May, Caleb Williams, so like, I'll give up whatever you got to outside of Justin Jefferson and Christian Jar- Derrissaw. You can have anybody else on my, on my team, my draft picks, take them. Um And then those other guys, it's just like, um, do they fall in love with one of those guys enough?
2: Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating next couple months too. As as the Vikings figure out what they want to do, it's probably Nick Mullins the rest of the way. Maybe we'll, they'll get a look see at Jared Hall. I know this podcast would love if they took a chance on Jared Hall. Or at least if they I... had
0: lost yesterday, I think that would make sense. It's just so hard. If you're not going to lose football games, nothing against Jared Hall. I think Jared Hall still probably should get an opportunity. But if they they like they just don't see it while the team is still in playoff contention, then they're it's just in a tough spot for him. Like yeah, man not wanting to put him in that position to like have, have to be uh, a playoff ready or uh, dr- striving for the playoffs, I should say. So um, I, I think it makes sense to not force him out there because they did win a game like yesterday, even as ugly as it was.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see, see what happens. We're going to break down a ton of quarterbacks and other players too on this podcast. So if you want us to uh, break down anyone one even got a spreadsheet, he's ready. He's ready. already looking ahead to the draft and he's got all the notes there too. So and it's not just quarterback related. We can get into plenty of other uh, different players and positions too uh, on future episodes. I'll take of requests Daily on draft. and
1: scouting reports. I'll take
2: requests. Hit us up if you, uh, if you want us to, uh, to talk about anyone, and we'll, uh, we'll obviously do it here on Purple Daily on draft. Uh, boys, yesterday though, uh, the, probably the star of the game in uh, uh, Brian Flores' defense too was Ivan Pace, undrafted rookie. And I know, Forno, you tweeted out yesterday, I mean, he deserves Defensive Rookie of the Year. Like he legit is making a significant case. He was a UDFA, got passed on by every team in the NFL. He gets basically plugged in, and Brian Flores says, like, that is my dude on this defense. Um, what have you liked about Ivan Pace and how come this dude went undrafted? Like what what was the main factor in your mind of why this guy ended up being completely undrafted and looks like one of the best defensive rookies in the NFL so far?
1: Well, let's start with the why he didn't get drafted, and it's because he's weird. Um and, and I don't mean that as an insult, but He's 5'10 half, 235 pounds as a middle linebacker. That's, that doesn't really fit the, the standard prototype of what uh, defensive coordinators want their middle linebackers to be. Then you pair that with his best trait is rushing the passer. Middle linebackers don't traditionally rush the passer. So when you look at both of those things, like, what do I do with this guy? Uh, he's not great in coverage. He doesn't move phenomenally laterally. He's at his best going forward. Which is like your standalone middle linebacker, but none of the rest of his games has middle linebackers. So, when considering he's such an odd duck when it comes to that position, it's easy to see why uh, defensive coaches and personnel staffs chose not to prioritize him. I still thought he should have gone in the fourth or fifth round because at some point, just being a good football player. We'll just figure out how to use him. And that's why I thought he was such a great fit with the Vikings because of what his skill set was and how Brian Flores likes to attack and be aggressive with the blitz. That's perfect for Ivan Pace's game. That delayed blitz on that Hail Mary attempt where he just kind of stood back and then all of a sudden shot forward like a missile and sacked O'Connell to end the first half. That kind of stuff is great. And that he's starting to grow in those other areas too where that interception he is, he's basically running a uh, cloud coverage. So he's kind of going over in that hook zone, but instead of going all the way out towards the sideline, he kind of stutter steps and mirrors Devonte Adams. Cause he senses the slant and jumps. It gets the basically the game ceiling interception. He's playing really, really good football right now. And it's across the board. It's on every level. He's got the green dot and the Vikings have found themselves a gym. And being a general manager, like we can talk about the Lewis scene thing. I, I still think there's hope for him, but right now it looks like a bad pick. Like, but there's other elements you have to be able to hit on later round guys. You have to be able to hit on UDFAs. And the word hit is such a weird narrative because if you hit on a six round pick and they end up being a spot starter for you, like what Josh Montellus was coming into the year, that's a hit. If you get a rotational player in round seven or UDFA, that's a hit. Right now, Ivan places a walk-off grand slam with how he's playing, how he's impacted this team, and the price that you got him at $750,000 plus, I think, um, like 60,000 in signing bonus pro rated. Like, that's, that's nothing. That's absolutely nothing when it comes to getting a starter producing at a quality level for your football team. And I think Pace's biggest competition will be Will Anderson. Was just having an absolutely monster year under D'Amico Ryans and Houston Texans. And he's going to have that. Yeah. uh, Carter, uh, I think to a lesser extent, just because he kind of gets buried a little bit personally in that uh, Eagles defensive line, but they have top 10 pedigree pace is just really cool. (laughs) And he's a UDFA and that's going to hurt him in those conversations because let's, let's be real. Some of the voters don't exactly spend as much time as some of some other people like us do at watching all the football and really looking at things from a granular level like beat writers who cover the sport need to look at big picture that's their responsibility that's their job but pace is playing better than pretty much every defensive rookie
2: right now in the national football league and he deserves to be recognized for it. Miles, do you think Pace would have had this amount of success in another defense? Like, do you think this is Brian Flores kind of cooking things up to a degree? Like, I I guess I have a hard time, obviously, and not knowing everyone's defensive scheme just off the top of my head. Like, I have a hard time of him having this route if it wasn't for Brian Flores, right? Like, he's he was the one who put trust in him. He's the one who has had success with him. Did everyone sleep on him and make a mistake? For sure. I think we all can look at that now. But do you think he has this same success in like another defensive system without Brian Flores kind of unlocking him?
0: Well, I, it's it's a hard question. It's a good question. It's a hard question to answer. I do think what we saw is obviously going into the into training camp, into this like into rookie mini camp, all those things. Ivan Pace was buried on the on a depth chart that didn't really have a lot of talent in front of him, but he showed right away how how, how quickly he could fit in and be instinctual and just be a guy that. I felt coaches could trust, and that's why we saw him ramp up so quickly to getting first team reps in, in training camp. I think he could have done that at, at other spots in across the league um but to the degree that he's doing it now i don't it, it, yeah to your point, it's really hard to to quantify, but I do think um with the instincts and those things that that just come natural to him, his ability to just fly to the football and, and read and react the way he does, I think he'd he'd show a lot of teams in camp and it, or like in the summer. How, how well he he should be playing or how often he should be seeing opportunities. It doesn't mean that he would be a full starter the way he is now on other, on other football teams, but I think with some of the things that we've seen, how quickly he was able to do it, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was a, he was a guy that was getting significant snaps in other teams across the league. But yeah, to the, to this degree, probably not, uh, but also helps, unfortunately, that injuries happen like a Jordan Hicks because it just cleared the runway for him to kind of take it all over. But I loved that he had already earned the opportunity to kind of run the green dot in the preseason and, and training camp a little bit as they rotated guys in and out. Um, he was that second choice. And I love that. I think that was just showed how quickly he was able to kind of get up to speed on a, on a really complex defense that requires a lot of communication and just a lot of like wherewithal and know, know with all with what everybody's responsibilities are. And as the quarterback of the defense, that's his job. It's still what everybody's responsible for. And to be able to pick that up as quickly as he has, and to basically be quarterbacking a top-five defense right now, uh, it's just really impressive.
2: Another rookie that's been showing up big time this year has been Mikai Blackman, who is, uh, I think he's the Vikings' second-highest-graded player defensively this season, too. Like He's having a great year. He's a rookie. that had to step in um, and make some big-time plays, and so far it looks pretty dang good. A third-round pick. Forn, uh, are you surprised at the amount of success he's had right away in this system? Again, is this more... Brian Flores scheming these guys in the appropriate manner or, or is this Makai Blackman kind of making the most of an opportunity and, and really making sure that he's going to be a legitimate cornerback in the NFL for a long time.
1: I think it's a combo because when it, when you, you talk about drafting talented players, putting them in the right positions sometimes means more than just overall talent. And Blackman was a perfect fit for what Brian Flores wanted to do he was taking 102nd overall and he was 185th on the consensus board. 83 spots difference. Well, this cornerback class was also really weird because it was deep. And guys who were man coverage specialists and weren't going to necessarily thrive in zone heavy schemes uh, were going to be prioritized by those man coverage units. And some guys would just fall because of it. Like that happens. And I I still think the Vikings drafted Blackman slightly too early. And they probably could have tried to move back and get some more capital. But it's all hindsight. Blackman came here as a perfect scheme fit. And he also has talent. He knows how to attack the football. He was very consistent at that. And despite his 178 pounds that he weighed pre-draft, he was a very feisty physical player where he wasn't going to get bullied by guys who just wanted to run through him. He would fight back. And he would get physical with you. And I think that's important. Because you can always add a little bit of muscle to your frame, especially when you're as slight as Blackman. There's room to add some muscle and get up to like 185, 190 pounds. And that's going to make a really big difference versus being 178. He's played very well this season. I don't know what his full ceiling is. I don't know if you want him as a starting cornerback in this defense long term. But he's he's great for the role he's in right now. And that's a massive win. Because if you get a third round pick as a rookie, being a really good rotational player you've hit. And if they become more, that's, that's even better. But a, the last pick in the third round ever becoming a long-term starter is just a massive success for your football team. So if he gets there, that's great. But being behind Evans and Murphy jr. Just fine.
2: All right, for we got a big college football bowl season. It's starting here. We were joking. Uh, We have an edible pop tart. That's going to be happening towards uh, the later part of the bowl season. Miles thinks it's disgusting. I mean, I, I actually I don't I don't disagree with Miles. It is pretty gross. there's like an edible pop tart, as much as I do love me a pop tart, pretty weird stuff. Uh, well, so
0: like, is somebody going to be walking around in a pop tart that's edible? <laughs> like, is that what the case is? Like, is it? Like, yes. I, I'm a hard pass. Like, I'm out on that already. <laughs> but like, that's just yeah. Like, I love the quirkiness, but I that I'm I'm out on that and for sure.
1: The absurdity of college football is <laughs> at, at its core why yeah. it's so great. For sure.
2: I mean, and there's some Pop-Tarts too about you guys. And I could just spend like a whole podcast talking about them. Like some are better toasted and some actually are better frozen. I don't know if you guys ever freeze your Pop-Tarts, but like a strawberry Pop-Tart oh, in the freezer. the
1: Pop-Tarts. Absolutely.
2: There, there's, there's a hidden gem in there between the frozen and the toasted version of Pop-Tarts. Uh, but what what do we have on tap though for college football bowl season coming up here, Forno? What, what are the first games and which ones are you uh, most excited to watch? Listen. Some
1: of these games look grimy and they feel grimy because they're teams you've never seen play. Well, luckily for you, I've seen these teams play and you know what? Lower level college football is arguably more fun than power five. Why? Because you get to see guys that you've never heard of that may play on Sundays and you just haven't heard of them because they don't get a lot of national exposure. One of my favorite teams this in college football this year, Texas state, they hadn't made a bowl game in like six years They get GJ Kinney, was the head coach at incarnate word bonus points. If you know, they're from San Antonio, Texas, and he elevated that team to just another level. And they were so much fun to watch grow and develop. And just, they, they basically run an air raid, but then they run a bunch of power concepts like GT counter. And then they just pulverize you on the interior. It's such a fun offense, but there are some really good football games uh, in The the Celebration Bowl is one of the better ones every year, but it's also different. It's the top two HBCU teams from the FCS. It's Howard and Florida A&M this year, and not only are you going to get a good football game, you're going to get a great halftime show with the marching bands, which is uh, phenomenal. Florida A&M has one of the best in all of college football. Um, The Myrtle Beach Bowl kicks off an hour earlier on Saturday at 11 a.m. Georgia Southern. Uh, Clay Helton bombed at USC He goes to Georgia Southern and he has turned that team from a triple option team to an air raid juggernaut in two years. Mm. And it's the Davis Brin. He's not an NFL quarterback, but he's the guy that can spray the ball to all levels of the field. Caleb hood is a really, really fun weapon on the outside. He was a dynamo this year in uh, college fantasy football. Um, the new Orleans ball, Jacksonville state. If you remember a guy named rich Rodriguez, head coach at West Virginia and Michigan. He is the head coach of Jacksonville state and they're eight and four coming from the FCS. That's a fun team to watch with that. That really interesting like RPO read option, like run based attack and they get vertical with it really quickly. Um, New Mexico state Fresno state is going to be probably the bowl game of the day on Saturday. And it's a loaded slate. There are seven bowl games, but New Mexico state 10 and four, with Jerry Kill. The first time New Mexico State's won 10 games, I believe, since 1960. Like This this team has been in the doldrums for so long, and Jerry Kill done a phenomenal job. It was a shame he wasn't even nominated as a finalist for Coach of the Year. And Fresno State, Jeff Tedford had to step aside. I believe he said it was a heart issue that he's dealing with, but that offense, Jalen Gill on the outside, um, uh, Keith, that uh quarterback, sorry, Mikey Keene, <laughs> they're just dominant up the seams and they're able to do a lot. Um, And I'll tell you this, Georgia Southern plays Ohio in the Myrtle beach Bowl. It's the first game. If Curtis Rourke plays, you may have heard his his brother, Nathan, you remember the viral highlights from the Jaguars preseason. Curtis Rourke is his little brother and he's awesome. I hope he goes P five. He's in the transfer portal right now. I don't know if he's playing in this game, but if he does him wide receiver, Sam Wigloos and running back CA Bagura, that's a fun, fun trio in kind of the same realm as, like, the remember the Dallas Cowboy triplets? That construct, they do a great job of elevating that Ohio Bobcats team. It's going to be a really fun slate of college football, and you'll be able to see at least a couple guys in each game that you're going to see on Sundays that you've never heard of. So when their name gets called, you'll remember, oh, I remember that guy. He kicks ass. <laughs> it's These games are so much fun, and I, I cannot wait for bowl season.
2: Yeah, I know. Either you love bowl season or you hate bowl season. There's no really in between on it. I feel like it's either you're all in or you're you're just kind of like, what the hell am I watching outside of like the New Year's six bowls and stuff. So I'm excited. Just man. go in with an open mind and expect
1: to have fun because a lot of these games are going to be just fun. They don't really mean anything. The opt-outs transfer portal changes the dynamics of them, but it's going to be fun, entertaining football for the most part. And it's just a good
2: opportunity to enjoy yourself in the Christmas season. We're having family fun. This is fun. This is what we're doing here on Purple Daily on draft with bowl season. Uh, appreciate everyone listening and watching here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button, too, for daily Minnesota Vikings entertainment. And again, if you want us to break down any college prospect on the show, we will gladly do so. We're live, or not live, but we're here every Monday on the Purple Daily uh, podcast feed and YouTube channel. Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornes, I'm Declan Goff. We'll be back next Monday.